Good morning. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to this edition of the What's Next LinkedIn Live show, where I have the absolute pleasure of welcoming big money, big energy, Ryan Serhant to the show. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we always start out my uh, podcast with something I call bullish and bearish. It's just something to get the juices going. And when I've been doing these LinkedIn lives, I haven't been doing it. And people have been saying, what happened to bullish and bearish? So I'm bringing it back with you. Are you ready? Bullish, you're for it. Bearish, you're against it. All right, let's do it. All right. First one, English and theater majors can make big money in sales. <laughs> bullish. All right, the second one, because I know you're in New York and normally there's a lot of traffic. Let's go with bullish or bearish on flying taxis. Oh, uh, bullish. Let's go. I'll, I'll be right. the first one to have one. How did I know that was going to be your answer? How did I know that was going to be your answer? All Yuri, right. Yuri, my driver and I, every day, at least once or twice a day, I'm like, can you just go, just go back here? And he'll just say in his, his thick accent, he'll just say, uh, he's like, okay, let me push button. And he like pretends to push a button that makes us fly. And it just makes me feel better. The fact that he, he pushes that button that doesn't exist one day, just go over the traffic. It's like airplanes. They go over the weather, right? Why can't we do the same? I, I so knew you were going to do it. And I'm, I'm guessing you'd want your taxi to look like a DeLorean. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I, I carry a lot of stuff. I'm a real estate broker. I got to fit families of 10 in my in my car. And, you know, I've got supplies. I've got stone in the back right now. You know, we're running around all day. I got fake film crews from everything. So DeLorean's pretty tight. I've driven one before and they're really heavy. Um, I'd want something that's like nice and roomy and just goes... Doof. But if I All have right. one, that means everyone has one. And then that just brings up a lot of different, you know, I, I'm bearish on flying taxi traffic. That's for sure. Okay. All right. Fair enough. And the last one is sort of a softball. Okay. Greek women. Bullish. So <laughs> bullish. So bullish. All right. Fair enough. Well, thank you for playing along with our bullish and bearish. Those, those were just a way to sort of loosen us up. But you know, there's so much I want to talk to you about because I think that you have had just this incredible career, by the way, through two dips in the market in real estate, which is really tight. But maybe you can give a little bit of history. I think you've been selling now for 12 years, but give give our listeners a little bit of background on who you are. Sure. So I got into the business as a real estate agent uh, the day Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy on September 15th, 2008. I came to New York City when I graduated college in 2006. I gave myself two years to try to do theater to make it, you know, as an actor, because um, I knew if I didn't do it, then I would regret it for the rest of my life. Uh, and I didn't make it. I ran out of money and I needed a job. And it was bartend, wait tables, temp work, real estate agent. Like those are the four choices between, you know, New York and LA, like that's what you're going to do. Um, and so I got my license and I just started renting apartments. And if you had told me 20 years ago that one day I'd be a real estate agent in New York city, I would have said like, that's, you're reading the wrong person's fortune. Cause that is not me in any way, shape or form. And yet here I am. And I just became addicted to the process. I became addicted to the puzzle right? The, the deals, I, I was totally fine with the rejection, which most people are not. Right? Most people, I think in, in New York city, it's something like 82% of newly licensed real estate agents quit in the first 12 months because it's too hard to make money. And they uh, have a really, really hard time with rejection, but I was fine with it uh, because I was being rejected to my face left and right for two years. 
Uh, and I just slowly built, I got cast on million dollar listing, New York on Bravo in 2010. That show came out in 2012. I didn't take a day off my first three years. Um, and I just launched my own firm last October in the middle of a pandemic when a million people left New York city and so far so good. <laughs> well, there's a couple things you said in there, right? It's sort of starting from scratch, being able to overcome objection and difficulties that, that, that kind of come your way. But the one thing I think is so greatly misunderstood about the profession of sales is it's kind of viewed as this four letter word. Like when you're growing up, you go, hey, mommy, daddy, I wanna be in sales. They're like, what did we do wrong, right? Yeah. Instead, you're like, I'm a theater major, I'm an English major, I'm gonna be, you know. But you started selling kind of firewood as a kid, right? So yeah. it's always kind of yeah. been in your blood. But what do you say to people that don't think being a salesperson is a noble profession? Well, first of all, I don't think anyone is wholly just one salesperson like there's you know the death of a salesman is a famous play about about a person who sold something so i think everybody's in sales they're all selling something so if you say oh i don't want to be in sales well then you probably shouldn't grow up um because it's <laughs> going to get pretty bad whether you're selling yourself as an interviewer you're selling your books you're selling your writings you're you know creating new drugs you're trying to sell those right you're always selling something that's how the world works um uh once you realize that it really opens up a world of different possibilities um and selling is just about connecting with people and understanding the intricacies of their personalities and the ways in which you can adapt to them um but like there's no ambiguous secret salesperson who sells all things that people want to grow up and be i think people say well i want to be a doctor i want to be this i want to be that but listen i know a lot of doctors they're in our, our sales course um, and they need to learn how to sell their medicine, sell their practice. You know, they're general practitioners. There's three other general practitioners. How do I sell myself to the community as the doctor to come to versus Dr. Quack and Dr. Smack? You know, like that's that's a real, they're businesses. Um, uh, and so everyone is in sales. That's what I'll say. I I, I couldn't agree more, right? And I think that, you said something also that you know you were working 24 seven in the first couple of years. And I think people don't realize how hard it is to sell, right? The you know, the weight of the of the revenue on your shoulders, you know, being responsive to customers, like delivering value, being creative. You know, what's your process of kind of keeping yourself sharp on uh, sort of working through all these changes we've now been facing? Um, I'm a big believer in in training and always finding ways to get better. You know, I've been doing this for a long time. I've sold a lot, but I, 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 I might not have all the right answers or the right ways to do things. You know, um, it's one reason we started the, the sales course. Uh, and so I think a lot of people who are smart took the time in 2020 that they might've had as downtime and took a side course right? Maybe got engaged into a side hustle where they were able to train and learn something. You know, I was always, I, and this really clicked for me in like 2009. Uh, I was in the business for one year and I had a client who asked me, you know, how many courses I take? I was like, courses for what? <laughs> He's like, courses for sales. I was like, courses, are you crazy? I was like, no, to get, I was, I was like, I, I thought he was nuts. It was like to get your license in New York, you just click for a few hours. You take a test. That's like, what is a house? You pass the test and then you could advise people on million dollar investments. <laughs> like, okay. Think about LeBron James. 90% of his time is spent practicing. 10% of his time is in the game that you see. 
and you're telling me that a hundred percent of your time is in the game. Are you, you're smarter than LeBron. And I was like, well, it's a different, it's a, I don't play basketball. It's a different business. And then I walked away from that and was like, wait, maybe I should practice. Maybe I need to work on my sales jump shot and my sales three pointer and how to work on a team and build and build. And so I think in order to stay sharp, you have to continuously, continuously learn, right? It's reading when you can, uh, learning from other people, shadowing other salespeople, learning from people that are outside of your industry. Like, how do they do their things? How did they get that thing done? How did they set up that team? That's interesting. Take the best, leave the rest, move forward. Take the best, leave the rest, move forward. And so what do you think, you know, if you, if you were to say, you know, kind of this time last year, we were selling very differently. And then boom, overnight, right? Everything changed. Yeah, cut uh, the block. And New York was yeah. hit extremely hard, right? And so when that happened and you realized, my gosh, I have you know weeks of listing appointments, I have all these properties, I have all this responsibility, like overnight you had to reinvent almost, I'm guessing, right? What and how you approach things. What was that? What was your process? What was that first thought when you woke up and you realized New York was shut down? Oh shit. <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, if you go back in the history of time, like, all right, what's the worst thing that could happen to, to a real estate market? Um, it's that no one can go and see properties. They all have to stay home. Uh, and, or there's pure fear, right? So like nine 11, for example, I was in high school uh, at the time, but like that's pure fear put into a marketplace, hurricane Sandy, natural disaster fear put into the marketplace. The pandemic was global, but it was centralized in New York because of the proximity between everybody, right? You're next to each other. You can't get out of your building unless you touch things that other people's touch. And at the beginning, this time last year, people were getting COVID off their shoes. Remember? It was like, oh, I touched a bag and I got it. And that's CNBC. Um, and it was a learning experience. But that first week, which was not now, right? It was two weeks from now. Um, it was March 22nd, the week of March 22nd, that Sunday when Cuomo shut down the city, every deal died. Everyone transaction volume dropped by 80%, 81% in the month of April because everybody went on hold. So we were having a great start to 2020. Let's go. Everything's going to be awesome. Boom. The people that were stuck in contracts moved to litigation. Um, uh, a few people who knew that they were getting good deals anyway, because it's not like the market in New York City was amazing before. We've we've been in a downward trend since the beginning of 2016. So a few of those people still moved forward. And it was an immediate need to take a step back and say, okay, well, what now? What happens now? A lot of it was kind of waiting, learning, waiting, touching base with clients through the phone, which was new, right? Haven't used that in a little while. Uh, um, because you knew that people had their phones on them 24 hours a day. It's not like they were busy. It's not like they were at dinner. So you could find everybody. <laughs> so, you know, a big, a lot of work with my team was, Hey, we can't show there's no filming. There's no nothing. Let's use this time to continue the conversation with clients. You haven't talked to in a long time. We came up with this thing called the three, five rule, which is every day you're going to reach out to 15 people, three different ways. Five people you're going to text, five people you're going to call, five people you're going to email. Next day, 15 people. And that's going to generate business because everyone else is going to be sitting there watching the death ticker on CNN. You're going to be the one who's touching base with people. Don't even talk real estate. Just say, how you doing? And the people who did it did really, really well. I then took that moment and I said, you know what? If I'm ever going to start my own business, the whole world just shut down and gave me some time to do it. 
so this is probably the absolute worst time to start a residential real estate firm in New York City. <laughs> but at the same time, it's probably the best time. Uh, and every single person I talked to told me, don't do it. Just wait. Every other firm is cutting costs. Every other firm's furloughing people. What are you, nuts? You want to go spend money right now? Every deal you have is dead. It's like, I know. But I don't think anyone else is going to do it right now. And I want to be the first. Um, and that's exactly what happened. And we we spent quarantine, one, writing Big Money Energy, this book behind me, because I just spent so much time talking to people about how to get their confidence back. And then two, let's go build a brand new real estate company for the marketplace of tomorrow um, over Zoom. <laughs> so that's what we did. Well, interesting you would tell that story. You know, I, I work for Salesforce and our CEO, Mark Benioff, gave us a challenge to have one million conversations. One million conversations, sort of April, May timeframe, not about RFPs, not about, you know, deals, not about demos, but we have 55,000 employees different. Oh, right? I thought he meant like you, Tiffany, you got to have it. That, I was like, that's an aggressive boss right there. Oh yeah. No, for 55,000 of us. Right. Yeah. And then we did, of course, yeah. in classic Salesforce form, we hit 1.5 million. And then he said, oh, I must've undershot that. Let's go for 5 million. You know, that hot, you know, that happens, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But that sort of communication with customers, did you did you find the difference? So you said sort of text, email, phone call. Did you also, because you're so good on social, you've really been pushing the envelope on social media, Instagram, and those kinds of things. Were you also trying to do it that way or much more personal? Uh, we did both. The personal outreach is important because people do it less and less. So the more we do it, kind of leaning in to being more personal, uh, it's actually easier now to reach out to people in a cold way than ever before because people don't really do it anymore. Um, and so it, so it works much better. And I think most people were expecting us to sell them on something and we weren't. It's just, how you doing? What's up? Right. How are things going? Just want to check in, man. Keep me posted. Let's see you know, if there's anything I can do to help you. Let me know. And then people love talking about real estate. So then they are the ones that start the conversations and they're like, actually, I moved to Louisiana um, never been here before. This is kind of cool. Uh, there's no COVID down here yet. It's weird. No masks. Uh, anyway, I got my apartment in the city. What, what should I do with it? I haven't even thought about it yet. There you go. So we were generating business without trying to generate business, um, uh, which which worked well. And it's you know, and we do it through DM, right? D d sending DMs through Instagram uh, is a big way that we're able to generate leads. And then posting, right? Posting. We did a lot of letters. I did a lot of writing. Uh, both in terms of like community letters, uh, newsletters, just to let people know our thoughts and what was going on in the marketplace that generated business. So we became very, very in touch with our client base and broker base in a way that we've never been before because we were forced to. Well, I think that's a great example. And what's interesting is so many that I have seen, <clears throat> excuse me, be successful over this course of time did that very thing. Right. Ours was a million across 55,000 employees. Yours was three times five, right? Across all of your employees. Um, investing during a downturn, reinventing sort of the business you're going to have, you know, during yeah. 2008, much of the technology we're using today that are allowing us to do what we're doing was invented during the last downturn, right? And yeah. so this is the yeah. time for sort of this innovation. Yeah. And I think now, you know, the market's just going to move so much faster than it was moving before because now having meetings like this, talking like this, doing things through video, buying a home, through your phone is now not secondary to seeing it in person. Now it's almost kind of 50, 50, right? Now it's preferred, but I think as things level off and COVID becomes a thing of the past, 
it'll be a 50-50 thing. I think the due diligence period, escrow period for a lot of real estate transactions are going to be the time people see their house the first time because they'll be able to move that much faster through video and it's not going to feel weird or strange anymore because we've now been accustomed to it for the last year. And so that means more transactions are going to happen. So transaction movement is going to be crazy. Never again will someone say, hey, sorry, can we reschedule that showing? I'm stuck in traffic. Like, no problem. Pick up your phone. We'll do the first one here. If you like it, no problem. You want to come back? Absolutely. But I got three other buyers who are here. So let's go. And it won't feel weird. Yeah. And I think real estate is one of those that is kind of hung on. Um, you know, I'm an outsider, right? Obviously, I don't sell real estate for a living. But it's kind of hung on to the way that it always was, you know, newspaper ads, mailers, you know, the things yeah. that sort of consistently happen. And there was a little bit of resistance from a lot of real estate agents, at least that I've had the pleasure of speaking in front of or speaking with that would literally be like, oh, yeah, I can't do that. My customers. Oh, I think we have a visitor. <laughs> All right. He was trying to eat something underneath me and uh, was making a lot of noise. I didn't want to interrupt you. This is Ollie. This is our house dog. So another COVID treat. One of our... Uh... Our, our head of new developments got a dog during COVID. So he's going to sit right here. Be good. So uh, I was saying that they were resistant to the change. <clears throat> and now, as you said, right, the behaviors have changed and buyers are now more accepting of doing things in a digital way. Do you think it's going to go back um, or do you think it's going to fall somewhere in the middle? I think that it'll fall somewhere in the middle. I think it'll be 50, 50. Um, uh, but now people are far more comfortable. That, I mean, I've sold, I just sold a place for, uh, what was it? 15 million. I, I did a $15 million deal in Palm beach and a 10 and a half million dollar deal in Miami last week through FaceTime. And those are with buyers who never, ever, ever would have done that. You know, they would have gone in person, but now the contingency period, right? One of the buyers is actually going to fly there and walk it during the inspection for the first time. The other is never going to see it because the video is good enough. He gets it. There's an inspection report. He understands it's fine. He'll see it, you know, once his designer is done with it, it'll be okay. Um, and that is something that people are now okay with, which is going to, which is means that the market's going to move incredibly, incredibly fast going forward. Um, and not just real estate, right? Kind of all markets. Well, so I'm going to shift a little bit because I think uh, often sellers that are really successful like yourself <clears throat> will move up in an organization. And in your case, you moved up, moved up, moved up, and then decided to just start your own, right? Very yeah. entrepreneurial. Um, but, you know, it's not always true that sellers, people who are, you know, salespeople can be great managers of other salespeople. True. <laughs> okay. And so what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would say it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, uh, you know, uh, most salespeople are, are incredibly selfish, um, uh, for good reason, right? You kind of have to be, um, as a form of defense, if you're not selfish, you're not going to make as much money, right? You're not going to sell as much. Um, so you kind of need to be selfish. There needs to be a little narcissism, um, uh, you know, in, in great, great salespeople I found, and it's a weird thing to say, but I think it's true because you have to be willing to have blinders on to everything, including other people. If you're going to move forward as an individual salesperson who is not salaried, there are no benefits. You eat what you kill. Um, um, and I think those people have a tough time managing because those blinders to manage appropriately need to kind of come off. You need to be aware of other people's feelings, um, uh, how everything works. And I'm a much better salesperson than I am a manager. Um, I'm working on it, trying to get better. Sometimes my team will write things on my hand 
to remind me to to touch base with them. Like last week, we wrote on my hand, "How was your weekend?" Because apparently, I just don't. I, you know, people come in. And I'm like, "Let's go. We got things to move. Let's go. We're building. <laughs> things are awesome." How was your weekend? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I care. Um, uh, but there's a listen, there's a lot of great books written by great managers about how to manage effectively. You know how to lead by example, which which I try to really really do. Um, but it's it, it comes down to setting the appropriate culture, right, and making it a fun, exciting place to work with great growth opportunities. Um, and I think if you can figure out those three things, then you can manage at least somewhat effectively. Well, so a friend of mine is uh, on Shark Tank Australia. Her name is Naomi Simpson. And she says she has strengths and non-strengths. She does not call them weaknesses. Yeah. And of course, in her business, she does what she's really good at, which yeah. is marketing and selling and being out there and talking and you know all of that. And then she has somebody who handles her non-strengths, which is this sort of management and operations and all of that. Would you yeah. agree with that philosophy? Oh, yeah. I think you have to know what you're good at and what you're bad at and what you're bad at or your non-strengths. There are other people who are good at them and surround yourself with people who are better than you. I mean, that's I've always felt that way from admin and employee staff to even just agents that I'm hiring. I don't want to bring on agents that just turn lights on. I want to bring on ones that want to be me. I want them to be in my seat because they're the ones who are going to work their butts off. They're the ones who are going to see that I got here really early and they want to be here earlier tomorrow. Um, uh, and that's that's what you want your company filled with, right? High energy, high octane people who are excited with the prospect of their own success, let alone your company's success. Um, because if they're thinking about how they're going to get their next check every day, you don't have to do that thinking for them. Their anxiety already exists and they're going to push forward. Well, that, that's a great segue into your new book, Big Money Energy, right? All about the energy. If anybody has had the uh, opportunity to watch Million Dollar Listing New York, you know <clears throat> Ryan has no shortage of big energy <laughs> yeah. at all in everything he does. So I'm interested to hear how you put that kind of energy into a book and, and what was the big aha for you in writing it? Well, I, like I told you, when I first got into the real estate business, I... I had to figure out two things. One, how do I sell anything? I've never, I've never really, other than selling firewood for one day when I was 10 years old, um, <laughs> I've never really sold anything. So what's, what are the mechanics of selling and how do I build a career as a salesperson of a product that's not mine? Like what, what does that even look like? What do I do all day? So that was my, my first book, which was sell like Sirhan. Um, this one was all about the second thing I needed to learn was, okay, now that I have that toolkit of how to sell, how do I use it? Cause I don't think I'm good enough and I definitely don't have the confidence and I'm brand new to this business or that person's better and she's way better and they're never going to hire me. But, but I know that I can do it. I think. Um, and when I first got into the business, I would follow and I would see the best real estate agents and I'd look at the best bankers and the best attorneys and the best of the best. And they had this amazing magnetic energy where they were able to attract success. Like they would have the best clients because the best clients would seek them out, not the other way around. Um, and I wanted that. And they also had big money energy because they made a lot of it and they dealt with high priced clients and high priced products. And I wanted that too. And I didn't have any of that. I had no confidence. And I was renting apartments to three roommates for 2000 bucks a month on a fifth floor walk up of <laughs> Avenue D where the parents wouldn't even come upstairs. Um, and so I developed like a, 
a plan for me to get that big magnetic energy, which is all about shifting your mindset so that you can start being the absolute best version of yourself tomorrow. And once you realize that the real boss that you have isn't that guy up there who's sitting in that cool desk, isn't that person over there, but it's yourself in the future, then you can really take a step back and realize, okay, that's who I'm working for. That's the wall I'm up against because I want that person's life to be great. Um, there's a whole process to it from, you know, doing a, a self audit to really defining what that future you is like. And we've got a lot of codes and everything in the book, but, um, if you can find that confidence and find that best version of yourself, then anything is possible. You can sell whatever you want or you don't have to, you can do whatever you want. Well, I think that's the greatest message, right? I think if you're not willing to invest in yourself, why would anybody else, right? You kind of have to show up and you said it early on in our conversation, learning, becoming a student of whatever profession you decide to do. Uh, and recently there was some research out that said more and more people are doing these side hustles because they have time yeah. potentially working from home to try new things. And this is a great way. Um, but the energy level you have to just sort of persevere. I mean, I, I feel like that's kind of innate in who you are. And so for people who might be more introverted and not quite as extroverted as we might be, how, how would you advise them to have that energy? Listen, I will tell you. I am not an extrovert by any means. Even now you put me in a room full of people and I would much rather be on my phone in the corner. Um, but that's not my job. And so when I really realized that the, um, uh, the way for me to make the most and to be the most successful was by working with using and understanding people in my line of work, but I think in anyone's line of work, um, then I had to work towards those skills. And those skills are not being in the corner on your phone. They're not staying at home, right? They're about putting on your confidence costume so you feel good about yourself. You amplify your traits so you can hide whatever unstrengths that you have or weaknesses. And you go out and you turn it into your business. Your business is people, whether you're in sales or anywhere else, you know? And the best offer, and, and, and then the proof is in the pudding because I've then found that my next best deal and opportunity has come from somebody else. And every single time I go outside my comfort zone, which is to be around other people, um, something great happens in some way, shape or form. Maybe it doesn't happen right now, but it happens in two years because of that. Um, and so for those introverts who are listening, you don't have to change who you are, okay? but you need to have a clear understanding of what you might actually think your job is. Even if you're a software engineer and you stay at home in the dark all day long with your headphones on and you're, you're, you're coding, 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 unless you are the absolute best coder in the world and people are looking for you to build their platform, then you're going to get your next opportunity by being around other people and talking to them, right? And talking to them about what you like, right? You can share common interests. That's how you make short-term friends. I go and find something in common. A, a thing that I used to do with salespeople who are freaked out about cold calling or freaked out about meeting people at parties was I'd freak them out even more and I would take them outside into New York City. And this is where <laughs> our office was uh, uh, on 49th Street. I'd say, go up to a stranger and find something you have in common with them. And everyone was just freaked out. No way. I can't talk to a stranger. Like, why? What do, you th are they, do you think they're going to punch you? If you think they're going to punch you, 
then don't talk to that person. Good thing we're in New York. There's 9 million people on the street. Talk to another person. And just <laughs> see if you can get a conversation going and see if you can find something in common. And when you really try it, it's much easier than you think. People will talk. Either you have in common the fact that you both love, I don't know, New Balance, that you both have the same birthday. Oh, that's so weird, right? Remember, your best friend was a stranger before you talked to them. So um, uh, there are ways, and I go through them a lot in the book. I don't have to bore everybody now, but there's a lot of ways to go from, to go, to become an introvert who understands that success will come through other people. Doesn't mean that you have to change who you are or change the fact that you actually are a homebody. That is totally okay. Well, I think part of that is also manifesting what you're trying to create. Like in your first year, you were like, I am the number one real estate broker. <laughs> you, right? You just put it out there. And it's like, yeah. you weren't, but you knew that that's sort of where you wanted to go. So why not create that reality, even if it was uncomfortable for you? Oh, a thousand. But that's, that's the future you I'm talking about. You know, I, I, I suggest most people think about the future them as 24 months out because that gives you an a year to plan and a year to execute um, so that you will far exceed that goal, that drawing of that person that you drew where you want to be two years from now. For me, I wake up every day and I go to work for Ryan of 2030. Like that is the guy that I work for. He is somewhere. He's 46 years old. Um, he's hopefully done having kids. And hopefully this company that he started in 2020 you know, 10 years ago worked out and hopefully he changed the world just a little bit and he's sitting pretty somewhere. Otherwise, you know, the, the, the 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. work days suck. <laughs> and I don't, you know, and they suck for me today, but that's okay because 2030 Ryan is going to have a great time. Um, and so having that clear vision of the future and manifesting that future is a huge part of the puzzle. And I think too, that a lot of us can, um, uh, you know, there, there's so much that goes into it, right? You can't let your past infect your present. A lot of people carry a lot of baggage into their days. Um, you can't let people destroy your days, right? We, a big part of the book in my life is about time management and how to structure your day for that benefit. Um, and so much more, but yes, it's all about manifesting. Yeah. And I was going to ask sort of about burnout. Do you feel as if, you know, because some people that 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. kind of grind, you know, especially today with everything else going on, you know, how do you balance that from a mental health and well-being standpoint, um, especially with a family and you work out and your business and, you know, trying to, to become that Ryan 2030? I think a lot of people experience burnout because they're running a race with no end. And of course you're going to burn out. You're going to get exhausted. There's no end. You keep going around the corner and the race hasn't ended yet. And what the hell is going on? Um, so you need to create ends for yourself. You need to create wins. They don't have to be the big win, right? But you need to create small wins. And it's okay to take a break and then start the race again. And maybe it's a different race that time. Maybe you were running a cross-country race that was 30 miles. And now you're going to go run a marathon. Now it's the hurdles. Now you're doing sprints for a year. That's okay. Um, uh, and that way you give yourself something to look forward to. And I think we all kind of need that. Otherwise you're a hamster in a wheel and eventually you're not going to turn the wheel anymore. Right. And that's not good. Um, uh, so, you know, personally for me, 
know, I'm always, I have so many different things that I want to do every year. So even though I get tired, even though I'm exhausted, even though it's a lot, a lot, a lot, I'm getting to three Tuesdays from now because that day is huge. After that, mentally reset, new race, keep going. But I'm still running. I'm still in the same business. And that helps me. Good. That's great advice. And, you know, as we wrap this up, uh, today is International Women's Day, as you may yeah. know, that we are celebrating globally. And the women in your life, right? Your wife and your daughter. Um, what do you hope for your daughter's future? What What do you hope, you know, on this day, being reflective of your daughter in 2030 and 2040 and 2050? Oh, my goodness. In 2030, she'll be 11 um uh, that'll be weird um i listen i want her to do whatever it is she wants to do i want her to understand that there are absolutely no barriers for where her mind can go whether that's being a teacher being a being the president going to mars whatever she wants to do she can do absolutely anything and everyone is 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 can work for her right i think um uh and if even if you look at my own life i'm at a table right now and I have one, two, three, four women who surround me, and they're the ones who tell me what to do. And flowers, I, we got flowers. Internet, there you can see them. They're right. Where are they? They're like right here. Yeah, flowers for for all the women in my life who who run the show. Um, but Zena, in particular, uh, her her mind can't even imagine the possibilities, and I want her to be absolutely okay with that and let her mind run wild. Well, good. Well, thank you so much, Ryan, uh, for spending time with all of us on the What's Next podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to hear your story and learn about your processes and practices. It's, it's just been a pleasure. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Tiffany. You're the best. All right. Bye, everybody. Thank you.